Hi, this is Laura Hedlund. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. This week we are celebrating. Um, on Tuesday, the Minnesota Senate passed by 38 to 26, a program which guarantees breakfast and lunch for all all students across Minnesota, regardless of family income. Uh, joining us now is Leah Gardner, and she's with Hunger Solutions um, Minnesota, and she's also a member of the Metro Food Justice Network. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about what passed this week and what the next steps are. Yeah, so we uh, just got the bill passed through the Senate on Tuesday for uh, free breakfast and lunch for all uh, students in K-12 schools in Minnesota. So a pretty big deal. We still have a, kind of a procedural move that needs to happen where there was a technical change. It needs to go back to the floor in the House this afternoon. But, you know, they already passed it uh, once, so that should be, we think, fairly um, a fairly simple follow-up discussion, and then it'll go to the governor to be signed tomorrow. Oh, so it's going to be, this show airs on uh, on Saturday and Sunday, um, but so governor may sign it on Friday, which yeah, is what you Yeah, by Saturday, my expectation is that this will be law. Um, wow. It'll take the Department of Education some time. Obviously, this is transformational change um, in terms of how we serve meals in school. So uh, it'll, it'll go into effect in time for summer school and and in time for next the next full school year. So you guys have been working on this for a long time. Tell us a little bit about the um, history of the activism to create this moment. Yeah, you know, we started with some more incremental changes that we've been that we've been working for at Hunger Solutions and with a few other um, partner organizations for years. Really, um, we started fighting the issue of lunch shaming, which has been a problem in Minnesota for over a decade and uh, passed one law, had to pass another law that made it more clear what constitutes lunch shaming, you know, dumping meals and any way stigmatizing children for not having money in their accounts, essentially. Um, but the issue keep, you know, the issue has continued to be uh, a problem even after the attorney general making it clear you can't serve alternative meals to, to kids who have a negative balance, that kind of thing. And so, um, but we've still seen schools are in this terrible position where they don't have, you know, resources to just go under the red on this. Parents, especially this year, are struggling with the cost of food, aren't able to pay. So we've seen meal debts going back up. Um, and this year has been really hard after two years of temporarily having school meals uh, for all, thanks to the, you know, temporary COVID relief. It's, it's just been, it's been really uh, difficult and hard for families and hard for schools. And we think long past uh, due that we just make it as simple as if you're in school, we're going to, we're going to get you the nourishment you need to do well. And um, yeah, I appreciate your time. And, um, and I also um, think it's really important to take a moment to remember Philando Castile. And, um, you know, he was a 32-year-old African-American man who was shot during a traffic stop in, in 2016 um, by the St. Anthony Police Department. He was also a cafe worker, and he frequently paid for lunches for students who owed money or could not afford to pay. And so one of, in the wake of his death, people were raising money. And and one of the details that was in the Wikipedia about this is that some school lunch debt was even threatening the ability of students to graduate. And, and so 
There is um, so this 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 has been long in coming, but let's just talk a little bit about the disadvantage of the so-called need-based food system in school. What were the problems with it? Why not? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I should say um, also a, a shout out that uh, it was wonderful to be sitting watching the Senate vote with Philandro Castile's uh, mom yesterday or Tuesday. So, um, you know, we we understand this is an important moment um, to do right by his legacy. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been a problem where. First of all, there's nothing magical that happens between 185% of, of federal poverty in terms of your income level and 186%. You know, that, that cutoff where you can make a dollar more, certainly still be living in poverty, certainly still struggling to balance your budget, and all of a sudden you don't get access to free and reduced price meals. So that has not been a perfect uh, program, you know, free and reduced price meals has helped some, but not all of the kids struggling with food insecurity. About one in four don't qualify for for any support right now. So we know it's been leaving kids out. We know really at any income threshold, it's you're still going to leave somebody behind. Um, family circumstances change. A lot of people are struggling uh, right now. Um, you know, I would argue all the way into middle-class families with the cost of food right now. So, so we know that that was not perfect. And I think even harder was the stigma attached to participating in the program. So also not everyone would fill out the paperwork, even if they were eligible. But I think the hardest thing that I, that I heard when we launched this campaign from youth is, you know, when we served Meals for All, finally, the lunchroom felt like an even playing field for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, that's that's the way it should be, right? Every other aspect of school, you come in and you're valued and you're supported. Um, but the lunch line was a place for um, anxiety and stress. And that's that's just not okay. Um, and we know that what, what would happen is, you know, kids are smarter than I think we give them credit for sometimes, and they would pretend they're not hungry and just, you know, skip, skip the line, skip, skip eating that meal. If they thought that there wasn't going to be money in the account, someone was potentially going to call them out on it. Um, if they thought that it was going to send their parents to collections, I mean, all these things really kids, kids are aware of it. Um, you know, especially when we get to high school, but I think even, even before that, um, it was a point of stress and, and it was creating an environment where some kids were not eating. And, um, the only real way to overcome that is to just feed all kids. So we're so excited to finally be there. Um, yeah. So that no one has to worry about whether or not they can afford to take that meal. And, and having it universal, and like, um, for instance, the philosophy behind Social Security is the need to have it universal. And and some of those cutoffs do get to be ridiculous because they don't take into account 
changing situations. If I have to fill out paperwork, yeah, but I just lost my job last week or I needed all this car repair or I have all this going on, I have all this going on. And so you don't have money for your kid's school lunch even though you're at whatever 190% of whatever dollars, you know, or based on last year. You don't have money for your kid's lunch. So maybe you send them off with a jelly sandwich again for the 15th time or something like that as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, people were doing that math of how can I make the budget stretch? And so in some cases, yes, sending something that probably doesn't have the same nutritional value and that just others that child, right? Um, So we know that's been an issue and mental health has been an issue for both children and parents. Um, So filling out that paperwork, the stress and the stigma related to that, I mean, it's just really something that we know we can do better. Yeah, we can do better because we're one Minnesota. And, yes. and, and how we push that forward. Now, so let's talk about some of the benefits of universal school lunch. And I got there's um, uh, also uh, uh, Bernie Sanders and Representative Ilhan Omar have um, a similar bill um, for the federal to make this a national um, universal school lunch, just part of, of the fabric of what it means to be a, a, a person in America. Uh, when your kids go to school, they get free food. Um, that's just and, – and, but, but some of the benefits are really quite um, – cost-effective or efficient, maybe we could say. Um, So people have been documenting improvements in attendance, uh, kids perform better in school, and better health outcomes. So do you guys are familiar with some of that research or that that actually um, having universal food um, can help kids do better in school? Yeah, absolutely. I think the research is pretty pretty sound and decisive that it does impact a child's ability to meet their full potential in school. And I would also say, you know, working in, in the hunger relief sector over the last few years has been just transformational as far as how, how we know we can best do our work. And I think the biggest lesson learned for all of us in that space has been bring food to people, not people to food, any chance you get. And so when we think about the issue of childhood hunger and um maybe insufficient nutrition, um, more importantly, schools are just a really perfect place for us to address that. We can make sure that every kid is getting a high quality breakfast and lunch every school day. That's huge. That changes the trajectory of that child's health. So um, it's, it's huge and it just makes sense. It does, and so um, and in this, so um, with the universal school benefits, one of the um, other documented uh, that teachers who um, ranked hunger as a top priority, so um, found that there were fewer behavioral incidences and lower suspension rates when you just had food yeah. available, which kind of makes sense because I know I get crabby if I'm not, if I'm not bad. So I mean, you know, having food, and I don't know if there's any documentation of that or it will be, but um, but but just um, helping the atmosphere of the school in so many ways. Yeah, I think that's what we hear anecdotally from teachers and people in the schools all the time is, um, you know, a lot of times at the at the root of, you know, behavioral issues would be a first important question to ask would be, you know, would you like a snack? Is there something, you know, do you need to have something to eat? Um, I talked to somebody who was working in um, sort of like restore a restorative um, counselor for for students so basically when they needed to leave the classroom because of something going on um, they could go and talk to somebody and 
again, the first thing that she wanted to do is make sure that there were snacks available. So yeah, I think people in that space know full well. And most of us as parents know full well. (laughs) Um, If there's something going on, one of your first questions is, all right, are you hungry? So um, we know that. We, We know that there's a connection there. It makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, and um, I, I know there was a state legislator th- this week, and we're going to be talking about this in the next ta- segment, that made a lot of news, um, national news. We're going to talk about this in the next segment. But but we, after what you said, I was like, maybe he was just hungry when he said those things. <laughs> maybe he was just a little crabby. <laughs> but, Ironically, uh, it went, um, the debate in the Senate went through the lunch hour. So, um, <laughs> yep, I think, and it, it's hard on the Senate floor. You don't get even water. So I get it. <laughs> Uh, we're, so we're going to talk more. But the other, the other thing um, that uh, that there actually may be some cost savings. And uh, so, if people look up the um, universal school lunch benefit on the national, but uh, so they've they've looked at um, there might be as much as sixty seven cents less per meal when everyone gets the food. You're, it can actually do some cost savings. Do you guys have any information about that on a, on Minnesota level? Um, yeah. So it's really complicated how. Mm-hmm. Different meals are funded at different levels. Um, there's there's a lot that goes into that, so it's hard to break down in a simple form. But I can tell you that really what it amounts to, um, most parents know you're paying, you know, maybe at best two something, probably more like three something um, per meal for your for your own child, probably um, for lunch and maybe a little less for breakfast. With this bill, it'll cost the state about a dollar per meal. So it, it's much more efficient to do it this way. And some of that is pure, you know, economies of scale and um, just the way that we can make this work when we when we have a better sense of how many kids are going to be eating, um, the, that the majority of students will take these meals. Um, but also it has to do with the more that you um, – that you are serving these meals, the more you're pulling in from the federal government. So this is basically building on top of the national school lunch program and a variety of ways that the federal government has been supporting kids having access to food for some time, but not enough, right? So all free and reduced price eligible kids will be getting fed in a universal context. So we'll get all of the resources attached to that still. We'll also meet different eligibility requirements for high poverty schools to serve universal meals. There's a different federal program called the Community Eligibility Provision that we'll be able to fully leverage. So we're bringing in a lot of the federal money, really all of it, including what we've been leaving on the table, um, you know, while we've been struggling uh, and families have been struggling to, to make this work. Now we bring in all the federal money, the state picks up the difference and, and yeah, we end up with economies of scale that I think will make it easier for the schools and easier to focus on the meals, That's right? Wonderful. As opposed to the money. And we're going to talk more. We're going to take a break now. We're going to talk more about this in the third segment. But the other thing is there can be incentives for local food procurement. Every dollar spent on local food generates over $2 of local economic activity. So it's about creating a system around food um, that includes everyone and um, is healthy and vital. Um, We're going to take a break. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking with uh, Leah Gardner from HungerSolutions.org about universal school lunch. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland, and we're talking about universal school lunches today. And joining me um, is Leah Gardner. She's with Hunger Solutions. You can find more information about that organization at hungersolutions.org. She's also a member of the Metro Food Justice Network. And I want to start this segment uh, playing a clip um, that made national news um, and was even top news in Reddit. So let's play the clip. Thank you, Brett. Minnesota State Senator Steve Kruskowski falsely relies on personal anecdotes while one in five students in his district qualifies for free and reduced-price school meals. Mr. President, I have yet to meet a person in Minnesota that is hungry. Yet today, I have yet to meet a person in Minnesota that says they don't have access to enough food to eat. Now, I should say that hunger is a relative term, Mr. President, you know? I had a cereal bar for breakfast. I guess I'm hungry now. Uh, that, to some, might be the, maybe that's the definition of the bill. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see a definition of hunger in the bill, Mr. President. Um, but I think most reasonable people suggest hunger means you don't have enough to eat in order to, to uh, provide for metabolism and growth. So, Leah, what do you make of these comments? Yeah, I, it's unfortunate. You know, I think he he answered um, the definition of hunger fairly well, actually, at the end. So I do think he understands that what we're talking about here isn't, you know, you didn't have enough breakfast and lunch is late. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about food insecurity. We're talking about when you don't know where your next meal is going to come from or you just are struggling to have enough to put on the table for yourself and for your family. Um so that's what we're talking about, and I think it's unfortunate for any lawmaker in our state to not understand how serious of an issue that is right now, um, because it is something that we're seeing across the entire state, in everyone's district, um, in every community. We are seeing unprecedented levels of need. Um, so it's it's been an issue, obviously, for the last few years, but really now with the price of food being as high as it is, families that have never struggled before are showing up at food shelves, and that's our most real-time barometer of this issue. A lot of them are three to four times as many food shelf visits than they've had in previous years, which also broke records, right? So this is a serious issue, and it, it of course, it's an issue in the classroom. If it's an issue outside of the classroom, it's an issue in the classroom. I think most teachers would agree with me on that. So, um, yeah, it, it's really sad to sometimes not be able to open people's eyes to the issue of hunger. Um, you know, people don't wear a sign saying I'm hungry and, you know, well, and I don't see, know that's where, where, gonna that's where I think we can really unwrap this because I think just like there was school lunch shaming, I think there's a lot of shame about being hungry. And, and I bet there is a lot of people that he met that were hungry and they just didn't share it. And I know yeah. um, from personal experience, I knew someone that, you know, once upon a time life was going great and lots of money. And then another moment, divorce, addiction, all these things hit and four kids and you don't have anything, you don't have any food. And, and, and she never expected to be in that position, right? It wasn't something. So share stories about what people experience today. How do, uh, 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 describe what food insecurity looks like in Minnesota. 
Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that I've been trying to uh, encourage throughout this campaign and throughout all of our work in, in anti-hunger spaces is to own it a little bit more and put a face on it. So, you know, there's a lot of people that have been impacted by this issue at one moment in their life, like you just said, you know, so I can talk about when my, when I was young and my parents were struggling, you know, what that looked like for them. And, and I can talk about when I lost a job and had a, a young child and, yeah, making sure that he was eating because picky toddlers. And so if I didn't, didn't, you know, that was, that was the reality. And I think the thing is we, we cannot put ourselves in those positions. We need, we need to help people when they're struggling. And, and I think we, as a society have plenty of resources to do better than that. Um, But it's hard if you think you're the only one going through it or, you didn't expect to be, and now you are. So I think the first thing we can do is acknowledge the many leaders in our in our world that do understand this as a personal issue. So we need to own that and be brave enough to speak up. Um, you know, our lieutenant governor has been amazing in this campaign and has talked about her own experience and the importance of school meals for her growing up, which, you know, otherwise her, her mother would have been, you know, in a difficult position. So I think we need to, we need to be brave enough to, to say, Hey, that's something that I can relate to from, you know, a certain moment in time. And I, and I think we need to then create comfortable spaces for other people to share their own unique situations. Um, And when I, I have a, a group of, folks that I meet with and that are an advisory committee um, with lived experience on hunger that, that help us form our policy solutions at hunger solutions. And they've been talking about all kinds of things that I think um, Senator Draskowski would, would, you know, benefit from understanding talking about, okay, well, you know, sharing tips with each other, like, okay, well, you know, if you water down this soup or if you water down the milk or, you know, different ways to try to stretch something um, to make it last longer, to make to make tummies feel full. But that's not helping your body have what it needs. Um, and I've leveled with parents and said, I've been there and I get it. But if you're skipping meals so that your child can eat, that's only going to work until you're sick. And you're the most important person in your child's life. And then what? You know, you don't, we can't have parents... Um, ending up sick or unable to, to do what they need to do. So um, I think we have to humanize the issue a lot more um, if we are going to expect people to be brave enough to, to share their own experiences. But I will say, bottom line, um, we just passed an emergency bill to support food for food shelves. We have the resources. There are places people can go and they will it'll be judgment free. You will get food. So I would really encourage anyone who um, is struggling in any way to know that there are programs out there. If you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, or you're jeopardizing your own um, wellness, please, um, you know, there's food. You come get it. Yeah. So uh, talk a little bit about um, hunger solutions, because there is also a Minnesota food helpline. So um, share that story. 
Yeah, so we have, um, so we, we doubled from one person answering that to now two over the last few years because there's been a lot to navigate. Uh, so we do have two uh, staff that will answer during business hours that uh, can help just navigate to what your options might be. So where's your nearest food shelf? Maybe you need a delivery option. Um, you know, maybe you're looking for a hot meal. They can help explain a variety of different things that that you might be able to access. Um, and that is available in, in multiple languages. Our, we have bilingual staff and are able to do translation as needed. So for anyone that would rather do that than navigate our online um, portal of that, you can, you can call our helpline and somebody will be happy to talk with you about your options, including applying for benefits. And so Hunger Solutions Minnesota is a membership organization and you represent over 250 food shelves in the state. Tell us a little bit more about the organization. Yeah, so we do a variety of things, one being that we work basically as a liaison between those on the ground providing programs and assistance for their communities and what we can do at a at a systemic level, right, with in partnership with the state and with the federal government and the variety of programs that exist to make sure that people have access to food. So a lot of that liaisoning looks like, you know, identifying solutions like um, hunger-free schools or like increasing the income limit for SNAP, those types of things. It also looks like talking to families every day so that we understand we're getting a lot of calls about, you know, where's the next PBT benefit? We can help explain programs as they're constantly changing. What does it mean? What do you want to anticipate? Um, maybe something's, maybe you need to make a correction and something isn't working right. Flag an issue for us and we work on that. Um, maybe you didn't feel welcome at a food shelf. We work on that. Um, so, Whatever it might be, we're there to help and make sure that barriers are removed and that people are able to find um, the help that they need. And then we work with all the food shelves and, and meet with them on a monthly basis. And again, they're really on the front lines, best able to see the trends as they're happening and help us understand um, what their needs are so that they can keep meeting community need. And so, for example, right now, they've been sounding the alarm bell that um, the increase that they're seeing has already been really um, unlike ever before. And we know um, emergency SNAP benefits are going away. Uh, they were temporarily increased during COVID and now are going away. So we expect the next several months to be difficult. And, and so we worked with the state to provide emergency funds so that shelves can stock up and be ready to meet the demand um, because we don't want to turn anyone away. We don't want to limit how much people can um, can get when they go to a food shelf. So we just sort of work across all those different systems to try to know what's going on, fill gaps when we find them, um, and just bottom line, make sure that people have um, access to food with dignity. And that dignity part, I mean, I remember um, after COVID hit, and you'd go into any store and like the ramen and the pastas were gone. 
And so, I mean, I um, this this being aware of what hunger looks like, um, and uh, but but some of it, I, I almost I'm almost think there's like a ramen noodle hunger. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? That the, the people aren't eating nutritious food. We're not, you know, fruits and vegetables are too expensive. Those are the foods that we need to be healthy, and those are um, expensive for the system. So, um, do you agree with that? That there's almost this. I mean, in my experience. Yeah, people stock up on eat the pastas with no sauce, and when there's nothing else to eat, or just eating rice or something like that. That's unfortunately common. Yeah, and 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 it has a health impact, right? I mean, there's a reason that we see disparities that are diet related um, across different communities. Um, so, I think. Yeah, it's it's not really it's not okay that fruits fresh fruits and vegetables have become somewhat of a luxury item, but I think many people probably would agree that that's how it feels right now. Um when you're trying to make your your budget work, um there's a lot that has become expensive. And so one other program I should mention that we administer is called Market Bucks and as farmers markets are kicking back in, um to prep right now, um, that is a way that people who are on SNAP are able to triple, actually, their dollars by going to a farmer's market and having access then to fresh and locally grown food that, that is affordable um, by tripling their, their dollars. So there are ways to address that, but um, it's very tough. It's, it's very, very tough. tough. So we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk more about the work of Metro Food Justice Network. Um, and um, and one of the things, like, uh, people put on these, um, start seeing motorcycles, uh, bumper stickers all over the place. If we start seeing food insecurity and unhealthy food, I don't, I'm not even sure the right way of expressing this, but start seeing the lack of healthy food and how we can create a universal healthy food system that reaches all people um, in our communities um, and make that world possible. Um, and universal school lunch is one great first step. Um, so that's uh, that happened this week. So uh, let's lay the vision out. Uh, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. As we Everyone has ever, all they need. Sky is blue. Beautiful clouds out, huh? So uh, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and joining me now is Aaliyah Gardner with Hunger Solutions. And Leah is, and a lot of us are celebrating uh, the passage of universal school lunches in Minnesota. Um, again, uh, now how many states have universal school lunch? And tell us a little bit about this passage. Yeah, so we're the fourth uh, to get this done permanently. There are a couple other states that have ex- a one-year extension in in the mix right now from the temporary uh, COVID relief, free school meals for all nationally. But we're the fourth state uh, to have full universal meals permanently, and the others are California, Maine, and Colorado. And of course, and many it, others have it in the works. And of course, this is someone who's been working on for a long, long time. So, tell us a little bit about the activism and um, and and where you see this activism um, going next. Yeah, I mean, I will say that you know a lot of work has has gone into 
realizing how important this was, building the effort and really centering the voices of youth and parents in um, the process of building an effort for hunger-free schools. And that's actually just one piece of the puzzle. Obviously, um, we want we want kids to have access to food at school, but we want all community members to have access to the food that they need. So there's a bigger picture and a bigger movement that that has supported this and that that we support. And that's um, and that one one way that that we gather is through something called the Metro Food Justice Network, and that is really looking at how do we address building a food system that is equitable um, and that advances racial equity when we know that um, right now the food system, you know, is, is ripe with racial inequity across kind of one point in the system to the next, right? Whether it's access to land to grow food to um, is there a grocery store in your community where you can buy that food and have healthy, affordable choices, um, you know, all the way along the system, we know that there are inequities that lead to health disparities and, and we know we can do better. So the, the network is really looking big picture, long game. What's the type of food system that we want and that, that we all deserve that will advance racial equity, um, for all Minnesotans. Now, when um, the uh, Metro um, Food Justice Network was formed in 2013, I think, I mean, the phrase your urban agriculture probably seemed really um, was very rare. And now it's almost it, it's it's commonly used. So I know um, Michael Cheney and Karen Clark uh, worked on the uh, first in the nation um, herb agriculture bill um, under their under that group. Uh, what others uh, uh, describe some of the historical work of the of Metro Food Justice? Yeah, I do think that the urban egg effort has been another big one. Now we're we're trying to shift the semantics on that a little bit to being local food for local communities because people have gotten tripped up on what's an urban community. And it's actually, we're talking about a, a really a, a wide range of communities across mm -hmm. uh, Minnesota, not just the Twin Cities, where um, that program has been able to be helpful. Um, another one is the Good Food Access Program. All of these, by the way, are up uh, being debated and, and potentially getting additional investments in this legislative session. Uh, good food access would would address, quote unquote, food deserts that we have also across the whole state in, in rural communities and urban communities alike, where there's limited access to retail options. Um, so there's, there's really a range of things. And I think maybe the one that that's that's the hardest is making sure that we create a space where where everyone has the opportunity to be a part of of growing their own food um you know food sovereignty for for many communities is important um access to land there's quite a history of racial discrimination that yeah. that has led to um it being very difficult um for bipoc farmers to be able to grow food for their communities. So uh, there, we have a lot of ideas and um, a lot that probably won't happen overnight. Um, not to say that Universal Meals did; it, it took many years. But um, but when we when we organize and and when we build, you know, from the ground up, um, community based uh, efforts, I think that we will 
be it be in it for the long haul and I think can see transformation across all of these areas so that we have a food system that works for everyone. And um, so a homegrown uh, Minneapolis work group, um, like the idea of local food procurement, and I go back to the statistic, um, every dollar spent on local food generates over $2 of local economic activity. So what is the economy we want, you know, and how do we generate that? You know, and I, I love, uh, I love Latunji Pellet saying, built by purpose and fortified by love? And and how do we create that local food? It's so much, how, how do we build a system on purpose and fortified with love that includes all? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, a lot of the different things that we've been talking about, whether it's where's the food coming from that's served in school, or, um, you know, we've been talking in as far as food shelves and the the amount of food that we need to be purchasing, we want that to be fresh, healthy, culturally appropriate. Where do we purchase from? Um, a lot of this, it, we come against a reality of, do we have enough growers? And if we don't, how do we support making that change happen? So I do think a really root issue here is we need to support our farmers and growers, and we need to let that be a new mix of people, um, emerging farmers, BIPOC farmers, um, need to be supported um, in the same way that for generations we've supported other farmers. If we don't have farmers, we don't have food. Um, But we know that there's a new wave of innovation that can happen, but it it will take our support um, for us to be able to to create a new space for more, more people to grow food for human consumption um, that meets their their cultural needs um, so that we can access that and then build it into the various systems that exist at scale. And there's some wonderful work in this area right now. Can you think of some stories that really jump out of, um, of, of uh, do you see some seeds growing um, or emerging of, of, of new, new types of, of, of food from BIPOC farmers? Yeah, there's one program, it's called LEAF, and now I'm not going to be able to rattle off what that acronym stands for, but there's another bill moving this session to put more money into the LEAF program, and that has been working. The Good Acre has been leading that effort. They're a local um, food hub in Falcon Heights that has worked with... um, with a food group who is a food bank that really focuses on healthy and culturally appropriate foods um, that also has uh, a farm incubator, if you will, for BIPOC farmers. It's kind of like the whole package, but we're asking for more state resources so that when, when we are making purchases so that we have enough food in the food in the hunger relief system that we can make those purchases at a fair price from BIPOC farmers so that right in our local community, we get the food grown by those farmers, get it to, um, get it to the food hub so it can be processed at a level that then is manageable for local food shelves to distribute. And so it's a new um, innovation that happened, came to be during kind of at the height of COVID and it's still needed. It's, it's still really amazing stuff happening. Um, and so I think we, we do have some really amazing ideas that, that are coming to be and, and they just need to get invested in fully so that we, 
you know, these weren't temporarily good ideas. These are good ideas for the long haul. And so the community garden um, that I've been working with for, um, for about 15 years now, but um, but it's done with the open door pantry. And so mm-hmm. they have um, a bunch of community gardens. And I actually see community gardens as both, of course, it's feeding you, but it's also um, it's also great exercise. And there's also something deeply um, connective or spiritual about just being with the soil and being with the living, the non-human world and, and feeding ourselves in a, in a way that's truly n- nourishing. Yes. Open Door is another example of just all the time. Um, taking things to the next level, um, figuring out how to make things work and scale them up when it's been, you know, the volume has just been more than more than ever before. But yeah, I think there are great things like that happening across a variety of different communities where, yeah, people can build community, get to know one another, feel comfortable in a space where they can be part of of that process and then also reap the benefits um, and and eat that that fresh food too. Um, and yet, uh, nearly two million more visits in in twenty twenty one than twenty twenty. So, food shelves um, are really needed right now. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think there's a pattern that happens a lot where we know those that that are struggling the most will be the last to recover in any economic, um, you know, downturn in the past. We've, we've seen that. So it's been a tough few years. Um, obviously food prices are not in any way helping. And so I do think that we're, we're going to be needing to support people who are struggling, um, to make ends meet and put food on the table for a while. This is not, um, you know, people might think COVID is done and want to think that that the food insecurity related to that is wrapping up, but that's just not, it's just not their reality. It's, this is something that it's been around for a long time, but it's at an all-time high. It probably will be for some time, but we know how to do it. We know how to meet the need. Um, there are people stepping up and, and ready to do the work. We need to support them and I believe that we've made it this far and and we will keep going so that um, there will be a place for anyone to turn that's struggling with access to food. Um, And universal school lunches, universal um, school lunches and breakfasts. So uh, tell us again about the program and how it works and... um... Um, and, 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 and let's, let's just congratulate you guys for a while too. And, and take, I mean, I feel really proud of Minnesota for being the fourth state with universal lunch and it it makes so much sense. I mean, in so many ways. Yeah. Thank you. It, it is fitting. I feel like we are a place that prides ourselves on, on being good neighbors and taking care of each other. And that's the environment that we want for our kids at school. Right. We want them to know that they are valued and will be taken care of. And by providing that that breakfast and lunch, no questions asked, that's exactly what we're going to do. So so it's just kind of making its final steps through right now. Um, We'll be signed into law and then come summer school is when we will see this really the the rubber hit the road on this. And that'll be the time where we can really roll this out and make sure that that um, everyone's ready to go and that kids can can eat. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, and and no, this is your side. This is our side. It's universal. Uh, uh, school comes with food, and learning comes with food, and and how we build it up in the community. So I thank you so much, Leah Gardner, uh, with uh, Hunger Solutions Minnesota, for joining us, and uh, thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio. Let's bring it to the-